0: Good morning Village Church. Very simple, short one this morning. We're not doing whole chapters now, apparently, which is great. We're just going to drop everything right now. It's fine. Welcome back to our youth students from Hume, Hume Lake, yes? Yes. Everyone made it. Long bus rides. Uh, I'm not cool enough to go on the youth trips anymore, so it's always a little sad to see the photos. I'm like old and washed up and we have young, fresh leaders, and I see their faces in these photos. And I'm like, man, look at them. So fresh and alive on, like, day six. <laughs> it's crazy. I uh, heard there was a lot of naps, though, uh, when you returned. So you are human. Well, thank you to our leaders, too, uh, our leaders who went on the trip. Really, really grateful for you for serving our students. Yeah. Well, we've been uh, spending the last few weeks just walking through the vision Statement of Village Church, and we're just going to read this again every, every Sunday, and we'll read it this morning together. Village Church exists to glorify God by growing and multiplying disciples who are delighting in Jesus, declaring the good news about Jesus, and displaying the life of Jesus, because every village needs Jesus. This morning, we arrived to this last statement of this little paragraph, and it's the idea that every village needs Jesus. There's a well-known C.S. Lewis quote where he says, Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. And the Bible is full of stories that agree with this. Or you could just look at 2022, our own world. I don't know if you saw recently, but Taco Bell just rolled out a new menu item. It's a tostada on a giant cheese. it <laughs> I'm not sure if you guys remember, but earlier in my sermon, I read a C.S. Lewis quote. <laughs> I'm going to read it again. Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. And this story continues at your local Taco Bell as it has for thousands of years. We were created to be in relationship with God. It's only through Christ that that relationship is restored. And so as Christians, we should feel confident to say that what we need is Jesus. And what everyone else around us needs is Jesus. And if we believe this gospel, we should be able to declare it With confidence. This morning, I want to examine this statement by opening up to a few places in Scripture, but I want to do it in light of one particular place in Scripture that we just read. It's Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 12. Let's read it again together. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is a reality for everyone who walks on this earth. And it's the reality that shapes what we believe, that we're all headed towards a common place, a common destiny. And so the first thing I think we could see this morning as we break this little phrase down, is that when we say every village needs Jesus, we mean every village needs Jesus. All around the world, you can find billions of people who right now today, they do not bow to God. They do not confess that Christ is Lord. And yet all people are headed to the same judgment seat, to the same throne. When I was 12 years old, my family went to a city called Bangkok, Thailand, I guess they couldn't decide if we should go there or, like, Disneyland. <laughs> it was actually a, a trip to support, like, overseas missionaries. It was a really cool trip. And, and one of the days, we visited the, the world-famous Reclining Buddha statue. And if you've never seen it, it's, it's half the length of a football field. It's covered in gold. And there's millions of people who travel there to see it every year. And some of them are are just tourists and they're just looking and observing the culture, but many of them are praying and offering sacrifices and and incense. And and it's just a giant golden Buddha thing. And he's laying on his side. And it looks like he's on a couch with some Doritos and he's like five seasons deep in some Netflix show. And he's just like absolutely letting himself go. (laughs) But all around, people are praying and seeking and hopeful that this this thing will fix some part of their life i'll never forget being like 12 years old just how dark that felt to see people putting their hope in things that are made out of gold and silver and stone hoping that it will bring some sort of health or good fortune and There's a lot of people who visit there, and there's a lot of people who are just tourists, but many, many more who really believe that this is where their hope belongs. And yet the Bible tells us clearly one day every knee will bow to the real God, and every tongue will confess and give God the praise that he deserves. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just our way and our truth and our life. And Jesus is not just the Western way and the Western truth and the Western life. He's not just a good solution for morality for for English-speaking nations. If every person is headed to the same throne to be held to the same standard and there's only one hope of being declared guiltless in that moment, then we can declare with confidence that every village needs Jesus, right? There's one throne, one judgment, one hope. We live in one of the most radically individualistic nations and probably the most radically individualistic time historically of our nation. What I mean by that is that maybe like never before, there's this just tremendous cultural pressure to avoid any sort of blanket statement about people. You can't say, everyone is broken. You can't say everyone is sinful. You can't say Jesus is for everyone. Everyone needs to be saved. The the response that you would get is, "You, you don't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know what I need. I'm a unique individual person. But We open up God's word and we see that there are things that are true for Everyone. God has made us all unique. God has made us all particular, and yet there are specific things that are true of all of us. There's one God, and there's one hope for salvation. As Romans 3 says, there's no one who is blameless. Last week, I was flying on an airplane with my family, which sounds cool, but some of you know the ages of my children, and you know that sounds not cool. (laughs) They are seven, five, and one, and if you know... People often ask, what's the worst time to take a child on an airplane? And that's very easy in our society. It's the age after when they sleep all the time and before they can use an iPad, right? There's like this narrow gap where you should just stay home, okay? (laughs) Do nothing. That age is called one, okay? (laughs) We took a one-year-old on a plane and it was um, exactly how you'd imagine. But we survived, and of course my kids' favorite part is the safety demonstration. It's everyone's favorite part. <clears throat> it's very funny, like they really only have one answer for if anything goes wrong on the plane, right? Anything goes wrong? Uh, we got this like, ziplock bag that's gonna fall from the sky, okay, Godspeed. <laughs> you wanna live? Take this thing, put it on your face. It doesn't matter how tall you are, what language you speak, what clothes you wear, We got the same thing for everyone. We got one solution. You don't like the color, too bad, right? You don't feel like you need it as badly as the guy next to you, you are wrong. (laughs) You wanted one that matches your outfit, enjoy your imminent death, right? And they feel no hesitation to proclaim one single solution, a universal safety solution. And yeah, we, we probably feel more hesitation to proclaim our universal solution of Christ. For those who carry the gospel, we feel no hesitation to proclaim that Jesus is the answer for every soul. Again, when we say that every village needs Jesus, we mean that every village needs Jesus, amen? Yeah. The final words of Jesus we find in Acts chapter one. says, so when they had come together and they asked him, I asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts 1a is a famous concentric circle statement of the Bible, right? It's a little geography section. And if you grew up as a good church kid, you probably had lots of Acts 1 lessons, and you have to draw out your little chart, and you draw your little neighborhood. You say, that's my Jerusalem, right? And you draw your your city or whatever, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Irvine, Orange County, California, ends of the earth, right? It's always a bit tricky, not really sure where the boundaries exactly should land, right? Right? If you preach the gospel to your Chipotle scooper, is that Judea or is that Samaria? Just, I guess it depends how good were the scoops, right? Here's a little map for you up. We like maps. Jerusalem was the city at that time where Jesus is speaking these words. The the disciples are gathered in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1. Judea would be really the entire region. There's different names. It's, there's a lot of regions that are given in the Bible and then the Romans had their own terms. And so a lot of this falls within the Roman province of Syria, but we use a lot of regional terms. And so Judea, and then to the north you have Samaria. And then of course you have the ends of the earth, which we agree upon. It's obviously places where we agree we're not going, like Florida, right? But of course, by saying Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the earth, what Jesus is saying is take the gospel and saturate every place on earth, starting with right where you are. Six billion people walking around putting their hope in worthless, empty things. And we have the hope of Jesus, our creator and redeemer. And so, Village Church, we this morning, we declare there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and therefore there's one hope for every village. Amen? Yes? Second thing, when we say that every village needs Jesus, we mean that every village needs Jesus, right? When we say that every village needs Jesus, we're not saying that every village would probably do a little bit better if we sprinkle some Christian morality on their life and onto the citizens. Of that city. It's like, you know, if we could just, if, if, if the city council could just bring back the nativity scene at Christmas and get rid of the giant Santa and the reindeer, we might have less violent crime in our cities, right? We just need to sprinkle a little bit of Christianity onto our culture, make things a little bit better, If we could just have a few more weddings where they read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient and kind. Don't you hear that? I think we might see less graffiti on the freeways, right? We could start improving little things about our cities if we just sprinkle some morality on things. We look at the Bible and we see we're not just trying to sprinkle some some morality of Jesus or some quotes of Jesus into our culture, or increase the number of good deeds that are happening in our culture. It's not what we're talking about when we say that everyone needs Jesus. What we're talking about is what we find in Ephesians chapter two, look at this with me. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. God's people wake up in the morning and believe that this is true. Believe that God has saved us, that he has rescued us out of death. Not that he's just made us a little bit better or that he wants us to be a little bit better, but that we've been called out of death into life and we believe deeply that the world around us needs this, right? Again, we're headed to the throne. All of this is in the reality of that. There are billions of people who are headed to the throne without being covered in the righteousness of Christ. If you've read the New Testament a bunch, you probably know your parables. Some of you guys are parable people. Maybe read them to kids. Read them to yourself, I hope. There's lots of simple ones. There's lots of cute ones, right? There's one about the sheep that gets lost. You're like, oh, so sad. Poor sheep, he's gone. Now he's back, right? He's crazy. Like on the edge of your seat. We found the sheep. It's adorable. And then there's some parables that just kind of like shake you a bit, right? You read it and... Puts the fear of the Lord in you. Maybe none more so than Matthew chapter 22, the parable of the wedding feast. Matthew chapter 2, Jesus tells a parable about a king who throws a wedding feast for his son. And the special guests who are invited, they don't show up. And so the king turns against them. And then he tells his servants to invite anyone on the streets. And of course, they all come. And you think that's going to be the end of the story, but then the story takes a turn. Look at verse 11. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. <laughs> it's like a heavy parable, right? Seems like it's going really well. Everybody loves like the stories where the, the classes, right? We love movies about that. And let's just go bring in all the outcasts. Let's go bring in all these people who are willing to come. But this parable gets a little bit deeper into the heart. It's not just that you're willing to come. It's, It's that you believed that you didn't deserve to come, right? What's the point of this parable? It really depends on what the garments represent, right? I believe these are white robes. They represent the righteousness of Christ that covers us. We might say, well, they're poor. How could they have had the right wedding clothes? That can't be the gospel if they're expected to go out and buy the right things and come up with the right answers so that they are worthy of entering into the party. And yet, what's so cool about this is this is actually like a a cultural thing for us that culturally at a huge party like this, the king himself would provide the garments for the guests to wear. And we know certainly that God has provided Christ as the sacrifice that makes us righteous for the wedding feast that is to come. But the self-righteous, they don't believe that they need this. They don't believe that they need the righteousness of Christ. And we see that in this parable. One of my favorite quotes is from Matt Chandler's book, Explicit Gospel, I say this one a lot. He says, heaven is not a place for those who are afraid of hell, it's a place for those who love God. I love this quote and I think you could say it this way as well. Heaven is not a place for those who are afraid of hell, It's a place for those who believe they need God, right? When when we understand the gospel, we kind of understand that those two statements are one and the same. We will never love God as we are to love God unless we believe that we truly need Him. The love flows out of the understanding of the relationship. He is the Redeemer, we are the redeemed. He's the one that could throw that party any day. We're the ones who've been invited in. And so this morning I was just convicted this week. I want to say this because I'm preaching this to myself um, as much as I'm preaching it to you. I just want to say as we think about this parable that I think is really heavy for us and we talk about everyone needs Jesus. There's people in your life maybe even close friends and close family, and you're not talking to them about Jesus, maybe not praying for them, for their soul, and you're telling yourself that they're probably saved, right? but if you examine their life and you do it humbly, it's pretty clear that they believe that they are righteous in themselves. And there's no humility in them, there's no love for Christ in their life, there's no love for the church in them. And and deep down you just want to hope that they believe the right things about God or you want to hope that maybe at one point they prayed the right prayers to kind of punch their ticket. And I wanna say this to you because I've been saying this to myself. (laughs) We gotta stop lying to ourselves, right? We can't just leave people in their own mortal pride that's leading them to the throne without the righteousness of Christ that they need. You might not get to have a conversation today or tomorrow, but we can start praying. And we gotta start praying, we gotta start preaching. The reality is this, the wedding feast is coming very soon and we don't make the rules, right? That's what that parable says. The thing that feels so heavy is this idea that like, well, I kind of know how this thing should go. like. And then God just says, no, 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 there's one way this thing goes, right? Self-righteous person says, I don't need Jesus. If there's some sort of God up in the sky, I'm sure he can't wait to meet me, <laughs> you know? If he wants to judge me, well, then I I look forward to sitting down with him, having a conversation, explaining kind of like why I did what I did. I think it's, I think he'll understand kind of my thought process on my life. If he wants to see my report card, I think I did better than most, you know? Matthew 22 says, nope, right? And when the wedding feast comes, it won't matter what we thought about ourselves. It won't matter what we think is fair. It will matter that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. This is what I need, this is what you need, this is what every village needs, amen? Yes. Last thing. When we say that every village needs Jesus, we mean that every village needs Jesus. This is something that you have to define more and more because more and more we find that even self-professing Christians are defining Jesus however they want. Or are they choosing to, to believe in good things about Jesus or, or, or good ideas or good concepts, but they don't actually preach Christ or they don't build their life on Christ and what he says about us. And the people of this world are not desperate for great ideas about Jesus. We're not desperate just for the great teachings of Jesus. We're desperate for Jesus himself. Look at what we find from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter two. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When we say that every village needs Jesus, what we're saying first and foremost is that every village does, does not need you and me. The people of this world don't just need my wisdom and my solutions or my great ideas. They don't ultimately need my encouragement or my incredible PowerPoint slides, right? They don't need a pastor who can just beautifully connect a C.S. Lewis coat with a new Taco Bell menu item, right? It is really good though, right? And there's a lot of pastors down the road that are not pulling off these high-quality illustrations, right? (laughs) And it's certainly a bonus, right? But the people of the world need Jesus, Look at verse 5 again. The world does not need the wisdom of men. They They do not need empty messages about hope. What they need is a faith that is firmly rooted in the power of God. This is huge importance for us because we want to love and serve the world as best we can. And we want to give them what we can. But ultimately, we know that what they need is Jesus. In recent years and over the years of Village Church, one of the things I've loved that we do that's brought in so many incredible people into this building is just teaching um, like financial stewardship classes that are open to the public. And, and you get to meet people who come just wandering in who are just need help in one of the most tangible ways. Like help me with finances and budgeting and we got ourselves into this mess and we just, we need someone to support us in this and help us. And, We get to help people weigh decisions and plan for the future. And there's people in this church who are really gifted at that. We get to see them use their gifts and serve people. And we love helping people who are in need. But more than anything, we know that they just need Christ, right? Again, because we do all of these things. We serve the world. We love people knowing at the same time that the final day is coming. And we will stand before the throne. And on that day, we will not be separated by who paid off their student loan debt first, right? We will not be separated by who kept a tight monthly budget. We're all headed to the throne, and we will all stand before God with nothing to show for ourselves. And so, when we say that every village needs Jesus, we mean that every village needs Jesus. He is the thing that ultimately is needed. And lastly, this morning, when we say every village needs Jesus, we're talking about our desperate need for a Savior when we stand before God. But also what we need until that day is the same Jesus. And so this morning I was thinking, the truth that every person needs Jesus is a truth that starts in the throne room, like we did in Romans, but it flows into the living room. And it flows into every day that you're on earth until that day. Colossians 2, chapter six says it like this, or Colossians 2, verse six says it like this. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Does every village need Jesus for just one moment or does every village need Jesus for every moment? until we're face to face with him. Acts chapter one, verse eight, it describes the, the, the circles, right? The Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. We saturate the world with the gospel. And yet, there's also this reality that the first person you will find in Jerusalem who desperately needs the gospel is you, right? Every village needs Jesus. And therefore, we begin by saturating our hearts with the gospel. We saturate our homes with the gospel. We saturate our marriages and families and relationships with the joy and the peace of Christ. You can make your home to be a place of worship and prayer. You can cultivate your family to be a place of worship where disagreements and anger and sin are not just solved by worldly ideas, but where the language of the gospel is the, the answer to everything and the foundation for everything. <laughs> you get, find yourself angry, you say to your spouse, I, just, I feel like we've been angry a lot. I think we need to do our breathing exercises more. Yeah, maybe, seems like you're breathing fine. <laughs> Maybe you need to speak the truth of the gospel to each other. We love because Christ loved us. We forgive because he forgave us. And so we cultivate places and homes that are full of apologies and forgiveness and grace and truth. We cultivate homes where parents look at their kids in the eyes and they say, If you never get another good grade for the rest of your life, and you never get into a prestigious college or career, I'll love you the same, because God loves you the same. And God has declared your worth, not me, not anything you can achieve, not anyone on this earth. And what does Acts 1, 8 say? You will receive power from the Holy Spirit to do this great work, and we will be witnesses As we do this work, the Spirit of God will lead you to proclaim Jesus to the end of the earth, and the Spirit of God will also lead you to proclaim Jesus in your living room. It's one and the same. And most importantly, God will receive glory in all of it. Amen? Yeah. Some good news for us this morning, I think, simple. Every village needs Jesus, and Jesus will meet our every need. As we follow him, as a group of people who believe that we need Jesus, he will continue to meet the needs that we have day after day. The gospel is what we preach to a lost world who has never heard the name of Jesus. But the gospel is also what we preach to ourselves when we wake up in the morning. There's Christians who've been Christians for 50 plus years in this room. And they need the same gospel when they wake up tomorrow as anyone else does. right. The gospel's for your neighbors to hear for the first time, but it's also for your dinner table to hear for the thousandth time. It's also something for your kids to say, Dad, I know, you say, I don't care. (laughs) When your teenagers are hurt by a friendship and they're crying in their bedroom, they don't need you to strategize how to fix all of their friendships. They just need you to slow down and let them know that they are loved by you and loved by God. Just the other day, my living room became a war zone with two of my young girls preparing to fight to the death over a stuffed unicorn. And it's easy in that moment to say, well, it's obvious what these kids need. They need a second unicorn. (laughs) What was I thinking? This is on me, I bought one. Knowing (laughs) this would happen, knowing that I was starting a war I fired the first shot. Maybe they need a second unicorn, or maybe they need Jesus because their little five-year-old souls are wicked. (laughs) Maybe the same gospel that's being proclaimed to unreached nations around the globe right now is the same gospel that needs to be preached to the hearts of children in living rooms. The gospel that says, who are we to not love when God has loved us? Who are we to not be generous when God has been so generous to us? And who are we to be at war with each other when God has made peace with us? Colossians 2, 6, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, The gospel in one moment and the gospel in one lifetime. Right? Maybe you sit in your living room at night and you have a journal where you pray for a neighbor or a coworker in hopes that God would give you opportunities to share the gospel with them. But then that very same living room the next night, you could be in your living room opening up your family budget and worrying about how you're going to make it in these next few months and years feeling afraid and hopeless. And the reality is we need Christ for both of these things. We need the gospel for both of these things. God isn't just promising that one day he will give us what we need before the throne, the ultimate thing that we need, but he's promising us that in Christ we will have what we need. We will have Christ today and tomorrow and on that day. And so Village Church exists to glorify God by growing and multiplying disciples who are delighting in Jesus, declaring the good news about Jesus and displaying the life of Jesus because every village needs Jesus. And so you can be full of joy, Village Church, because exactly what we need is exactly what we have on the final day, on this day, and on whatever days we face in the days ahead. Amen? Amen. Yes? Can you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are good to us. Romans chapter 5 says, At just the right time, while we were still sinners, God sent Jesus to die for us. And God, we believe that if you can provide our ultimate need at just the right time, you can provide for any need at just the right time. And as a room full of people who have many needs, many worries, The idea that we gotta preach the gospel to the ends of the earth feels overwhelming. God, may we first and foremost just believe that you are a God who's with us, and we've received power by your spirit, and that you will meet our needs in every moment and every day. And may we be a people who go out into this world and proclaim the good news. Help us to believe, God, that, that the things of this world are not what the people around us need. Help us to believe deeply that people need you. I'm grateful for you, God. We're grateful that you've called us to yourself, that we get to rejoice and worship you. We pray that we would worship you now as you deserve. Amen.